So good vach to all of you, and I'm happy to see you here this Motsi Shabbos in our base medrash. And uh, it's a pleasure to see my dear friend going back many years, Rabbi Eli Weber. Is that how they call you, my dear friend? So maybe I got it wrong. Harava Gon, Rabbi Weber. Is that <laughs> Does that sound better? <laughs> so Eli is a very, very special person, and I'm sure he's a great teacher of Torah, and I'm inspired to see this big group. We have a full shul here tonight, and I was told that you had a beautiful Shabbos. So Baruch Hashem, I'm happy to be uh, somewhat of a climax and uh, to top off the Shabbos here. Master Shabbos in my shul. So this week, we read in the parsha about some of Avraham Avinu's great nisyanis, those ten nisyanis in Esnas Avraham Avinu va'omed bekulam. And when Avraham stands and pleads with the Kodesh Baruch Hu for Anshes Doim, he says in an apologetical way, And he means to say, I know that I'm not fitting, but I do feel it my duty to try, to try to invoke Racha Meishamayim, even though they weren't righteous. But Chazal exalt the statement, and the Gemara cited a few times says, What does Ofer Ve'efer mean? Many different interpretations. But ten years ago, I remember one of probably the most intense experience I ever had in my life. Ten years ago, I visited Poland, and we went for Kivrei Tzedikim, and also visiting those tragic, horrible sites like Majdanek and Auschwitz, and I was there together with my father, Zechet Tzadik Levroch. I think, uh, Eli, you, you know my father a bit. We met... Uh, and he was there the first time after 70 years. That is exactly where he last saw his father, his mother, and five of his siblings. And I spoke to the group, and I spoke about Avroma Venus Vonoichi Ofer Ve'efer. Ofer Ve'efer are two extremes of the spectrum. Efer symbolizing destruction, and devastation. Afer is ashes, all that is left after anything was reduced by fire, consumed. So it could be a little hut in the woods or a king's palace. If it's burned, all that's left is Afer. So Eifer symbolizes destruction, what was and is no longer. 
Afar is the dust of the earth, symbolizing eternity, what cannot be destroyed. So Taisvis and Bruchas Daf Zion explains that filler Venafshi ka Afar so in Bruchas Yudzayin, Chazal bring various different tefillas and tachnunim that the greatest of Amiroim added on after tefillas Amida, after the Shmoines. Nafshiko Ofer Achol Tiyatosis explains Ofer Eino Mekabel Klaya. Ofer cannot be destroyed. Even man, the most destructive creature in this planet, man devise the means to destroy anything and everything with atom bombs and hydrogen bombs great cities could be reduced to dust in moments and seconds but you cannot destroy on the planet you cannot destroy earth so Taisa says that is the essence of the tefillah benafshika offer lachol offer enoi mekabal kloya so the story of the Jews, our story is Afar ve'efar Marbolet shel afar ve'efar Destruction and renewal Death and birth So many times through our torturous history in Galus many thought that this is the final solution. And we are reduced to ashes just to be born again. So the very first Jew was Avraham Avinu, first and foremost of Avoseinu Hagidashim. And Avraham said, And that is our story in its briefest version. The combination of destruction and eternity and renewal. So Avraham Avinu says, So yes, we've been through this goddess with so much pain and suffering and destruction and devastation and so many times they were out to annihilate us, only to be born anew. So there's a popular legend about the Phoenix. Phoenix is a city, right? In Arizona. But the Phoenix is a creature, somewhat of a bird, that lives a thousand years, then he soars up to the sky to be consumed by the heat of the sun and reduced to ashes, and he's born again out of the ashes. So you probably wonder, why would this rabbi be telling us stupid legends that are totally born out of imagination? Because the story of the phoenix is actually in this week's Medrash, in this week's Parshim, Parshish Vayero. I don't remember who it was, one of the great Amiroim. I think it's Ravianai. And Avianai interprets a posik in Eov, Kachol Arbe Yamim. And Avianai says in Medish, there's a bird that's called Chol, Ofachol. 
the sand bird. And this bird lives a thousand years. And after a thousand years, Eish Yoitzes Mekinoi, fire bursts out of its nest and it is consumed by fire. Velonish Aramimeno Elokebeitso, Vohu Male Evar Ever Kinisharim, and he is born again out of the ashes. So I was standing there with a group of my Talmidim and dear friends and Ovi Moiri. And I said, He spoke about the thousand year Reich. He didn't know that a thousand years is our secret. The Medrash says, lives a thousand years. And after a thousand years, he's consumed by fire just to be born again. So the thousand year Reich is, that is our secret. And of hachol, the sand bird lives a thousand years, and then another thousand, and then another thousand. And once again a thousand years. Ad bias hagoya. Ad soifayoni. And why is that bird, that strange bird, called of hachol? <coughs> because chol is offer. And that is nafshi ka'ofor lechol tiyah. Because the earth cannot be destroyed. So, that is what I said ten years ago when we were standing there on that very memorable day that neither I nor any of our friends that were there will ever forget. And my father was there pointing at the exact place he last saw his parents and siblings when they were taken right and he was taken left. And the last words my father heard from his father was, Moshe, kiksechim of Dana, breather. Look after your brothers. Because my father and his two younger brothers were taken left while his parents and the others, the younger children, were taken to the other side to their deaths. And I always had the feeling that my father interpreted those words, look after your brothers, not only tried to look after his two younger brothers that were there together with him, but look after your brothers and dedicate your life to care for your brethren, for your children and the children of others. So Baruch Hashem, that is our story, the story of Ofer Ve'efer, the story of destruction and renewal and revival and eternity. What kept us going? What kept us going throughout the ages? Jews dispersed amongst all the nations of the earth, all the continents, distant places, had almost nothing in common. They didn't even share a common language. Well, in a way, they did. They all davened in Loshin Kodesh. But davening is not really what keeps the people together. They couldn't communicate with each other. Because Jews, in the vast majority of countries and nations in which they lived, adopted the language 
of their country, of their society. What did we have in common and what kept us going? It is only the title. The title that we learned and shared. Because wherever we were, we all, we all shared. The same Babli and the same Yerushalmi, the same Torah, the same Nevi'im, the Rambam and the Rabbi, the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah. That is all we shared and all we had in common. So Gedali Yisrael sent letters, Mekzeo Olam Bad from one country to the other and we were engrossed in study. I don't know where the expression comes from, but we are the people of the book, Am HaSeifah. Yes, we gave the world the gift of learning and studying, and that is what kept us going throughout the ages, throughout generations. Besides persecution and suffering, we had very little in common, but what we really shared is the title that we learned. And Baruch Hashem, our generation and our parents' generation were zeichel to come back to the land of our forefathers. The land that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Avalom Avinu So after the devastation, the most terrible devastation mankind has ever witnessed, the destruction of the Holocaust, of the Shoah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave Klal Yisrael a gift and we're back, back in Eretz Yisrael, back in the land of Avraham Avinu and Yitzhak and Yankov to rebuild the land and to learn Torah in Eretz Yisrael. And that is a gift, and that is a schus, that is a dream our forefathers dreamed about for thousands of years in Cholos, and we are the fulfillment of that dream. So it's wonderful to see you here, Mitzvah Shabbos, after spending a Shabbos in Yerushalayim, and I'm sure you heard a lot of the Divrei Torah this Shabbos, and it's good to see you here. The Tona de Belio says a person has to say, how can I connect and how can I achieve some, some of the virtues, some of the greatness of our Ovesegdosh? And is when we read Sefer Bereshis, and every week we deal with different sugyas and different stories that are part of Masei Avois. Let me share with you a vort. It's a vort, but a very nice vort. Years ago, I remember visiting my Rebbe, the Kloisenberger Rebbe. Did any of you hear about the great Kloisenberger Rebbe? It sounds a Rebbe. Yes. Hope so. Raveli. Tell the boys about the Kloisen Magarevi, okay? So I had the schus to be one of his disciples. He was my Rebbe. And I remember once in his elderly years, he was ill and feeble. and laying on the couch and I came into him. And by chance, he was holding the Sefer Midbar Kedemus. That is one of the great svarim of the Chida. And in the very first paragraph in Midbikademis, the Chidur writes that the Ovis Agdashim learned Torah 15 hours a day. 15 hours a day. 
And when he read that line, I will never forget his reaction. He says, Fifzen Shua Tug, this is Gornisht. Judging by your faces, I don't think anybody understands what I just said. So the Kloyzer Mugadeva said, 15 hours a day, that's nothing. A yeshiva bochadaf learn a 15 shua tog. Shiva boy needs to learn 15 hours a day. How is it possible that the Ovesek Daishim learned only 15 hours a day? And then he said, Very simple arithmetic. And he said, Well, the Ovesek definitely daven three tefillas every day. And that's a that's a toysis and brochus chavav. Avram tikin shachris, Yitzchok tikin mincha, Yaakov tikin harvest. But Toysus argues that if Avram avinu kiyam kola toyra kula filu erev tafshilam, that he definitely daven three tefillas every day. So we assume that the Ovis daven three tefillas a day. And then we learn in brochus, chasidim arishoyinim, shoyin shuachas lifnik tefillas, and shuachas liachet tefillas, and shuachas mizbaladim. So the early chasidim, prepared themselves an hour before davening, an hour after davening, and they davened an hour. So three times three is nine. Fifteen plus nine is twenty-four. Very simple cheshman, so he said. Well, if you daven three tefillas, and each tefillas three hours, all you're left with is fifteen hours, so, yeah, fifteen hours dedicated to Torah, nine hours dedicated to Avodah tefillah. How about chesed? Well, the Ariya Kodesh says you need to do chesed before davening. So obviously the hour before davening includes whatever chesed the others were involved in. Standing there, it occurred to me, and I told the Rebbe that, well, according to his pshat, I have a great teretz on a bikash. So there's a sefer, Kidmasu Ayin, which is comments and the Midbukadamis. And he said that the Chidah contradicts what he writes in another source. Because there's another source in which the Chidu writes that the Ovesek Daishim learned Torah Filu Bechalom Laila. And he asks, here he says 15 hours a day, and there he says Chalom Laila. According to the Pshat of the Kloizim Magarevi, well, those 15 hours need to include Chalom Laila. Because Shuachas Lifnit Philoson, doesn't start Bechalom Laila. That starts when you're wrapping around in Beis Medrash. So obviously they needed to learn Bechalom Laila. So why do I tell you this? The Ovis dedicated all their lives, all their energies, all their time, all their thoughts and all their efforts to one goal and one objective to serve the Kodesh Baruch Hu and to serve his people. And that is the greatest goal, the greatest endeavor one could possibly have in this world. So life is a mission. And we all come here to serve. So looking at these beautiful young faces, I try to imagine what you're going to do in the future. So I'm sure that some of you probably will be successful doctors, some of you might be lawyers, some of you might be businessmen. All of you, I really hope, will be Talmid HaChachamim. And I hope that some of you might be Marbitzei Torah B'Yisrael. 
that is the most lofty and the greatest endeavor one could dream about. And that is my bracha to you. Wherever you go, take this experience with you. The yeshiva experience. You're learning in a great yeshiva. Make the most of every moment. Take advantage of every moment you have in yeshiva. To learn, to grow in Torah, in Yerat Shamayim, Midot Tovot. And wherever life might lead you, take the yeshiva with you. That is the expression that we find in Yom Edav Chofches. Avram Zokon V'yoshev Yeshiva Yitzchak Zokon V'yoshev Yeshiva Yankov Zokon V'yoshev Yeshiva Umiyem Meyem Shalavu Yisaynu Loi Paska Yeshiva Mehem Yardu L'Mitzrayim Yeshiva Imahem Yardu L'Babel Yeshiva Imahem Wherever they went, they took along the Yeshiva. Wherever you go, make sure to take along the Yeshiva. Mi'aten, you should all grow to be great Talmidei Chachamim and leaders of Klal Yisrael. And my heartfelt bracha to all of you is that some of you might be teachers of Torah, Marbitzei Torah and Meira Hayroa Bi Yisrael. Good vach. So we have some time for questions. For example, the, the menorah, um, in fact, in Europe, the menorah was slotted inside because it was dangerous. And I know that the Shofar is slotted outside, um, so nowadays a lot of people want to keep the menorah slotted inside. So, what would you What's your name? Yoni Miri. Yoni? Miri. Where from? Brooklyn. So, Yoni's question is. Minag versus Halacha. As an example, Ner Hanukkah. Uh, yes, I, I can't elaborate because it really is a halachic question. Uh, my personal minig is I like inside and outside. I like inside because, oh yeah, that was the minig of my forefathers. And I adhere to minig always, and that is the minig of many chasidim even in Eretz soil. And I lie outside because why shouldn't one just observe the basic halacha, Medina de Gamora, Medina de Shulchanar? There is room in halacha to, to light inside even today and even when there is no sakana. And I wrote about this in Mincha Sosha Moyadim Chelek Aleph. So, I'm not sure if this is the best example, but uh, Chazal give tremendous importance to Menhagim, and twice in Shas do we find Chulin Sadik Yemalan and Psachim Dafnun. The source that we are to adhere to Menhagim is Al Titrish Torah In Yerushalmi, we do not find this formula in Bavli, only in Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi says Menhag Mevatel Halacha. So, 
By halachic definition, halacha always overrides minig. And a minig that goes against halacha is not really a proper minag. But there is tremendous importance to minhagim. I think that is about all I could say at this moment. And, you know, if there are any specific shaitas, they have to be dealt with in their, in their specs, in their details. So, just, let me just summarize what I say. Minhagim have extreme importance. They do not override halach. Kiddush this morning, a few of the other guys and I were discussing with one of the Ramim about the size of the Kizayis. Um, and I believe the Ram does something in the discussion of the Ram about it, but I couldn't remember the conclusion. And so the Ram just talked Why didn't you check it? <laughs> we didn't have access to the discussion. That's very bad. <laughs> um, but I was wondering if the Ram could just talk about a little bit about like, this plot and how we Yes. So, so once again, I, you know, at this at this part of our discussion, I can't really delve into the details of halacha. But yes, in Shas Chuvas Mechasor Gimel, there is a discussion at Chuva about Shiurim, and I actually suggested a totally new approach to reconcile what seems to be a stira and the tzlach and Abchayim no deal with. So the controversy of Shiurim started off more than 200 years ago in the Tzlach. And what the entire world calls Shir Chazanish is actually the Shiurim of the Tzlach. Does everybody know who the Tzlach was? No. What other cipher did the Tzlach write? No, so you do know. The Noide Biyud. So he was maybe, perhaps the greatest halachic authority in his time. And he came up with a discrepancy, a stira, between two different Gemaras regarding Shiurim. And the size of Shiurim depend on how do we resolve what seems to be a contradiction. And I came up with suggestion number three, Tzlach, Reb Chaim Noah, and Minchasosh. As strange as it might sound. Uh, so I personally adhere to the Chazanish Shiurim when possible. But by basic halachic definition, my opinion is that a zayis is just as big as a zayis. Uh, and therefore, b'sha'asat chak. Many times I am asked by people that I have difficulty eating a kezayis matzah or eating a kezayis mora because of different health uh, conditions. Or, and I say a person could make a brocha on a zayis. Just to be on the safe side, I would suggest... You know, the different sizes of olives. I suggest taking the biggest olive on the market today. I don't mean some strange freak olive, but you know, bigger olives, not the very small ones, and that should be the Shia like science. So if you could, why not be Machmer? But by basic halachic definition, my opinion is that a Kazayas is as big as a Machubiti Kazayas. Suggestions 
or thoughts on how to unify the new people more so? Well, yeah, I definitely don't support Sinas Chinam. Yes. The tragedy of Chorma Bayis, Bayis Shaini, was brought about by Sinas Chinam, and that is a Gemorim in Bavli in Yomedav Tes and in Yerushalmi in Yomedav Hey or Davov, I think. And if it was destroyed by Sinas Chinam, obviously it will be rebuilt by Ahava. I don't say Ahava Chinam because Ahava is never Chinam. And we are to love every other Jew. And I think there is an expression in the Medrash. And uh, I heard this expression many times from the Kloyse Megarevi. He shechriva et beiteinu, v'sarfa et heichaleinu, v'adayin merakedet beineinu. It's still with us, Sinas Chilam, and it's a tragedy. And many times, you know, I'm going back to the feeling and the spirit of my introductory remarks, going back to Auschwitz and to Birkenau. And when our fathers and grandfathers walked out of those horrible camps, they never dreamed that Jews could ever hate each other or fight each other. We have enough haters, I think, after what we've been through, it's about time that we respect and love each other. And I think that each and every individual has to do his utmost to enhance Ahava v'Ahva v'Sholom v'Reis. So you all remember the very well-known statement by Rabbi Kiva, where does that mama appear? Who knows? Where is that? Nowhere in Bavli. Yushalmi nedorim daflamid. And also toiras koyanim. So everybody knows that the Bekiva says we have to What is not as well known is in that same source, Ben Azai, Ben Azai was a Talmud Chover of Rabbi Kiva. Ben Azai argues and he says, told us Odom Klal Gadol Heimeno. There is even a more important principle than we have to Rechu Kamoichu, and that is. So what's pshat? We all could appreciate the mitzvah of What's so great? What is so fundamental about the post And my feeling is this. The discussion is, what is the most important, the most basic ingredient in a just Torah society? What is the bedrock of a humane Tayradika Jewish society? Rebbe Kivit says we are Love thy fellow Jew. Ben Azay says, No, I don't think so. Because love by its very nature cannot be uniform. 
That is how HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us. We love some people more than we love others. And there is no escaping that fact. Benazai argues, what is even more important than love is respect. Respect each other. Each and every one of us reflects the Tzalem Elohim. And that is why we need to respect each other. Let us note the tragedy of the 24,000 disciples of Rebbe Kiva. Do you recall what the Gemara says? Why did they perish? Why did they die? Does the Gemara say, No. What do Chazal say? So that tragedy, tragedy befell us, not because they didn't love each other, because they didn't respect each other. So I wasn't there when Ben Azai and Abikiva had this argument. But I guess, I assume, Ben Azai was a Talmud of Rebekiva. How could he, how could he, how could he argue against his Rebbe? I just guess, it's my feeling, Ben Azai says, pardon me, our great Rebbe. It's not I. It is you that said, no, you are the one that taught us how to respect each other and what brought about the devastation of those 24,000 disciples that perished. So Benazai says, I think the more fundamental principle that we have to reyachu kameichu is, So yes, I think each and every one of us has to do far more to bring more Ahavas Reim and more Kavoyit Chaveirim. So we are to respect even those that we don't love. And we are to respect even those that we have difficulty loving. So these are the two fundamentals in the entire, in the entire realm of Benodam L'Chaveirim. Kavoyit Chaveirim and Ahavas Reim. So we all should try to do our utmost to enhance Ahavo v'Acho v'Sholom v'Reyes v'Kavayt. On the topic of Kavayt, it says that the Shamev v'Shila were very much other, even though they argued that there was on the topic of Mazeris or whatever, according to the other opinion. Um, do you say this about everyone or everything? Meaning, nowadays, for instance, if certain people would hold different opinions, let's say, for example, a kosher kitchen, even though they do hold a valid opinion, but it's a more completely valid opinion, uh, do you still apply this concept of, you know, even though we disagree, that we allow for, to intertwine Yes, so the sugi you have quoted about Bishamah and Bishil is in your vomit stuff, you'd gimel, and you'd dalad. But if you actually examine the sugi closely, the Gemara makes it very clear. There is no room for halachic leniency in order just to respect other people. That does not override halachic principle. And the Gemara really deals with this question. How is it possible, if there is a fashash mamzeis? And the Gemara says in different ways that no. 
we must assume there was no Rishash Mamzeris. So, uh, if you ask a halacha question, is there room for leniency when you are a guest and maybe the hesher your hosts are using isn't really what you would be using at home? My response is this. If you really have doubts about the kashas, then you have a problem. Because trying not to hurt people's feelings does not override the cheshash of macholas asuris. But if they have a proper hechsha, even if it's hechsha you wouldn't be using at home, there definitely is room for leniency when you are the guest of other people. So, I won't go into any details about hechsherim. I never do that in public, and I usually don't even do it uh, on the personal level. But many people have a certain standard of cashless in their home. Is there room when you're a guest somewhere else and you do not want to offend your host to rely on a shayrim you might not use at home? Yes, definitely so. If it's basically a proper hersha, but if they have no hersha, or it is a hersha which you know, not just because people say, but you really have room for concern that it's that it's not a good hechsher, then do your most either to solve the problem before you arrive there or to get a... In other words, uh, trying not to offend people is not the machoras asuris, but there definitely is room to be more lenient when you're out of your home and relying on Echshayim that you might not, not use in your own home. Yes, we have time for two more questions. Yes? Perhaps connected to the question of Hamas Israel and respect for the group, what does the Rosh Hashim think of the current conflict in Israel between um, certain uh, Jews who are opposed to the uh, Israeli army uh, I just hope that nobody is going to bring up this question <laughs> because I am very I, I don't like to discuss politics uh, but I don't shy away from questions I think one of the greatest obligations we have in our current situation in Israel, and not only in Israel, but in this modern world in which we live together, not only together with our neighbors, but together with the entire world. And in this info age, when every image is seen from one corner of the world to another, we have to be so careful to be Shem Shemayim and not be Mechal Shem Shemayim. And I think a lot of what's happening is truly a Chil Hashem, which causes me great pain. We might have different opinions, and as I said before, we try to respect different opinions, but we also have to be so careful in the way we express our opinions not to be Mechal Hashem Shemayim. And I think a lot of 
what has been going on is causing a tremendous filler Hashem, which, uh, which causes me great pain and great, uh, great concern. Uh, that is a, that is a general statement if, uh, if that would be sufficient. I like the last four words you said. Should one, could one. So, in Shalas Chuvas Mechasosha Chelik Beis, I wrote a few Chuvas about Chelis. In my opinion, the real Chelis is still a mystery. I do not think the popular Tcheles is Tcheles. And as I argued in my Sefer, I think the only yardstick to determine what is Tcheles is Divrei Chazal. And this Tcheles doesn't fit in to the description of Chazal. And that is the reason I don't wear Tcheles. So, I was not very happy to publicize these chuvis because so many of my dear friends and Talmidim were trailers. And I knew that many will be pained to see my opinion about trailers. But Torah's Emes overrides everything, and that's my opinion. So many of these people asked me after those chuvis were publicized, should they stop wearing trailers? And I said, definitely not. There is no downside in wearing trailers. But my opinion is that it is not enough by halachic criteria to do something because it has no downside. And therefore, I am not convinced that this is trailers, and I don't wear trailers. <coughs> But all those wonderful people that wear what is described as trellis, I see no reason they should stop doing so. Uh, if it is trellis, they're lucky. In my opinion, once again, that is not ample reason to wear trellis, because if it is trellis, you're lucky. What? Is there a problem of Nihila to get shade from the Kota? I didn't understand. If you specifically go up to the Kota to get shade from the sun. Ah, shade? Yeah. I didn't hear you. Is that a problem of Nihila? So if you just want to come to the Kaisal to get shade, that's a problem. But if you come to the Kaisal to Daven, you definitely are entitled to move into a place that is shaded to feel more comfortable while davening. That is the Gemara of Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai, Shehoyu Yoishev B'Tziloi Shel Heichal. And the Gemara asks, that's also Bahanoa. And the Gemara says that it's not also Manoa because the Ksolom of the Heichal, the Toichan Asuyas, are not for the outside. So, no, there would be no problem in when you visit the Kaisel to move into a section that 
that gives you shade. But uh, I assume that nobody comes to the castle just looking for shade. you know, say the Moyed or Mesechet Brochus, and most of the Sugis you learn do have practical implications. It's far easier to implement, you know, and put what you learn into practice. But if you learn Babakama and uh, you learn about Choyvel Bechaveroi, I wouldn't like you to try to put that into practice. So, in Yeshivas, for the past 100 years, and mostly yeshivas, we learn Noshim Nezikim. One could argue, why wouldn't we learn Brochus and Shabbos and Psochim and those Mesechtes that, that are really far more relevant in our day-to-day lives? So the understanding would be that our first duty in yeshivas is just to teach boys how to learn and to give them the proper derechalimud and the proper approach and the proper understanding how to analyze a sugya and how to reach conclusions out of what we're learning. So not everything we learn should really be directly implemented or should have direct relevance to our daily lives. I assume that in yeshiva you probably have a seder in halacha and a seder in musar, and those should be the parts of your learning that should have direct relevance in the way you conduct your lives. Not everything we learn needs to have direct relevance. And some of our learning is just to teach us how, how to learn. Ultimately, somewhere along the way, we will need to take advantage of those skills we achieved in Yeshiva to really do more of our learning at Ochalamaisa. Because ultimately, the essence of Mitzvah's Talmud Torah is Ludat et aderech nelechba veta masa asher yasu. But I don't think you need to try to figure out wh- whatever and wherever you learn how I could implement this into my, you know, daily routine. <coughs> One more. That's a very broad question to finish off our evening. There are three different, three basic interpretations of Torah Lishma. The Balshamtav and his disciples taught that Torah Lishma is Lishem Shumai. Torah, just to make a Kodesh Bohu happy. Nachas Ruach Liyotzoi. Rab Chaim of the great disciple of the Groen Shar Dalad in a Sefer Nefesh Chaim argues that cannot be the interpretation of Torah Lishma because we never refer to a Kodesh Baruch Hu Belosh 
If it is Torah L'Shem Hashem, it should say Torah L'Shmo, not Torah L'Shma. So Rab Chaim argues Torah L'Shmo is Torah for the sake of Torah. To learn in order to understand and to take pleasure out of our learning, that is Torah L'Shmo. Interpretation number three is the early sages of Musa. And I don't mean Abisol Sanantar, but rather the Reishas Chachma and the Shlo, going back 500 years. So in the introduction to the Reishas Chachma and in the Shlo, their interpretation of Torah Lishma is Torah Lishem Mitzvot. Torah Lishem Kiyum Mitzvotea. Torah for the sake of Mitzvot. Those are three basic interpretations of Torah Nishma. And in some of my sforum, I argued, first of all, I brought sources from the Rishayim to substantiate all three approaches. I think the Rambam, Perikud in Shuva, supports the interpretation of the Baal Shem Tov. Rashi, Brochus Yud Zayin, and in other sources substantiates the approach of the Reishas Chachma. Why Rab Chaim of Arazim quotes the Roshan Adorim as proof to his interpretation. But essentially, I think they all three boil down to the same principle. And I think all three are Divrei Alekim Chaim, and they are just different stages of the same endeavor. Torah Lishma is Torah to achieve what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to achieve by learning. Which is number one, you need to understand what you're learning. And why is it important that we understand the depth of Torah? To perform what we understand. If we don't have a profound understanding of Torah, how would we observe the mitzvahs of Torah? So stage number one is to understand the depth of Torah and the clarity, which leads to stage number two, the performance of mitzvahs, which leads to stage number three, which is lasot nachat ruach liyotzro. So to me, all three pirushim are one, one and the same. So we just need to learn out of the sheer beauty that we derive from understanding Torah. And we want to understand Torah in order to know how to live full Torah lives. And that is the ultimate goal of our lives. To serve a Kodesh Bochu v'anasis nachas ruach So we should all be Zayra. שנזכה ללמוד תורה לשמה ולקיים את מצוותיה לאהוב זה את זה ולקדש שם שמיים. A good work and thank you for being here.